0: And then, researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind, Shadow Citizen. Shadow Citizen will explore the shadows of an alternate reality. Your hosts, Rachel L. McIntosh and Rob Bosell.
1: our government at least, and I don't think the prior government that it could envision flying airplanes into buildings on such a
2: massive scale.
3: I don't think anybody could have predicted that these people would take an airplane and slam it into the World Trade Center, take another one and slam it into the Pentagon. Yes, I'm afraid somebody did know that. And hey, everybody, thank you for joining in tonight to Shadow Citizen. I'm Rachel L. McIntosh, your host. And my co-host is Rob Osell. Rob, are you here?
4: Hello, Rachel. And we have a great guest tonight. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, yeah, me too. She's a whistleblower like yourself. And you know, I'm really proud to uh, be associated with some of the smartest women on the planet. I, you know, So thank you for <laughs> letting me do this, really.
5: Wow, what a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Now,
3: our guest, everybody, because she just heard her, her name is Susan Lindauer. And she was a U.S. intelligent asset. And for people that don't know what an asset is, it's basically somebody who's kind of like a spy. Yeah, kind of like a spy. I love Yeah, and, and I'm sure Susan could tell us exactly more about that. But she ended up in jail because she did know that these planes were going to hit a building. And she's here tonight to talk to us.
5: So, Susan, introduce yourself. Say hi to everybody. Hey there, everybody. An asset is human intelligence. So much intelligence these days is based on surveillance of phone records and metadata collection. but real intelligence old fashioned gumshoe intelligence is human intelligence where you 're actually engaged in direct contact uh, with uh, a, with the target and it's it 's often very, very, very dangerous. One of my best sources uh who I might share with you if she's willing to do it um had someone inside the Benghazi compound when senator when uh, ambassador stevens was taken that's an asset except mm-hmm. she's a foreigner so she would be an agent but an asset is your own nationality and we're seeing uh, a ratcheting up of like the world is going crazy right now yeah. at so many levels this the the timing of this interview Almost 9/11 is 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 uh you know we're beyond false flags now. Thank you. Let's put it that way.
3: Mm
5: Mhm. I agree. Uh,
4: Yeah. The this what do they call it? The uh, strategy of heightened tension is that uh, something that you go into quite a bit. I know that
5: is exactly what's happening. But unfortunately, the heightened tension is feeding into hysterics and. In, I'm in, in the Washington D.C. area and they've lost any perspective. They're so afraid. They, they're, there's a, you know, as you know, both a deep love and a deep hatred of Trump. You either, you either love the guy or you hate him. Uh, I'm actually a Trump supporter. I think that America needs Trump to succeed. I believe very strongly that Trump has got to succeed or we are in a world of hurt. China... Apparently contacted a, a law firm called Wilmer Hale and demanded after this uh, special prosecutor was appointed, demanded that four, four Wilmer Hale attorneys should be released to contribute to the special prosecutor investigation because, in order to make sure that Trump, uh, because they have a close Historical ties to Trump, and they add, and and China initiated this. This is something that the that uh, anonymous, uh, the Julian Assange anonymous group, the the hacktivist group, re- revealed that they had they had captured the cables. So we have you know so they they had captured the cables from China. To Wilmer Hale saying, for God's sakes, you have to stop this thing. China is terrified right now that if Trump is overthrown in a coup, and it's a coup. This impeachment nonsense is, we're going to talk about everything, is totally garbage. But if if Trump is overthrown in a coup, it would be a fast track to World War III between Russia and China and Iran. And so they are, they realize for all of you who think that Trump is like this misogynist, racist warmonger. In fact, Trump is anti-intervention. He wants America first, jobs first, trade first. What is wrong with that? I just cannot understand why anybody would be against that. And you have the warmongers who are the, the, you know, the, the, the neocon Jeb Bush. George Bush, Dick Cheney cabal, who are pushing war, 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 John McCain, war, 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 every opportunity that they can. And
4: well, then well, we
5: have the refugee crisis and, and the, this the schizophrenia of these people, the George Soros crowd. The millennial supporters saying we want to protect the refugees, but we support Hillary Clinton and the neoliberals and the neocons who are pushing the wars. And there's no, there's there's no there's like the schizophrenia now. It really is dangerous.
3: I I, I agree. Rob was going to ask something. I have a question about something you just said, but go ahead, Rob. You asked first.
4: Well, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, where the, the main reason we want to get into this is we want to talk, you know, something about uh, 9-11. And, you know, and, and just recently there was this Manchester thing, and I actually heard something news uh, interesting hit the news cycle. And this is a very short clip, but I'm going to just do it quick. And then let's talk about 9-11 and other false flags. What do you want sure. report? Right there from Manchester. Listen to this. Um, and there is, it would appear, some evidence that this was a suicide bombing. Um, that certainly takes it down the Islamist terrorist um, direction. It must also
0: be noted that in, in
4: recent months uh, in Europe, there have been a number of false flag uh, plots where uh, right-wing extremists have tried to frame Islamists uh, for uh, 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 for terrorism. So, what he's saying there is, you know, that, well, the definition of a false flag. Do you, do you want to do that, Linda? Or I, or I can do it, or Susan, excuse me. Uh, or no, go, I can,
5: go ahead, go for it.
4: Well, it starts, you know, allegedly with you know pirate ships when they're uh, they wanted to you know raid a, a, a ship that they saw out at sea. They would fly the same flag as the as the ship that they that they were approaching, and then uh, once they got close enough, then they could you know board the ship and attack it. But you know by flying that false flag, the the newer definition. Oh, that it,
5: is a, that is, I had forgotten that. That is actually a very good story. That is a very good definition of what a false flag is. You make it look like you—you are—it it is an impersonation. That is exactly what it is. It's an impersonation to make it look like you are the, the enemy who you are trying to blame for the attack.
4: Yes. And so Hitler's uh, Reichstag fire is, you know, is one of these famous ones, you know, that uh, they burnt down their own Reichstag and uh, and blamed it on Poland and in order to attack Poland. And there's, you know, there's a whole – I'm not a great historian, but – you know, the, the one that we've all lived through, the one anybody that's, you know, 20 years old now, you know, probably remembers what they were doing even, uh, you know, maybe not, maybe you've got to be 25, but 9-11 was a big one and this is, a, you know, a state sponsored tear where our country or, you know, possibly you know the deep state within this country in allegiance with you know say other countries and i'm not going to pinpoint anyone and and this is why we have you on because you were you know, right <laughs> yes. in the center of all this stuff and so uh, let's flesh this out a little bit i know rachel's got some questions and uh uh well, you know yeah you, I, Rachel? go
3: go ahead keep going
4: well, no, it's just that you know, nine eleven is what is why we're Absolutely. have all of these wars going on today. We couldn't have invaded these seven countries that uh, General Clark mentioned. Uh, I think you've pointed them out too. That you know, the, the neocons planned to take all these countries down, and and you were talking about Bush and Rumsfeld and Cheney. Uh, yeah, this was part of their agenda. And, and you know.
5: it's it's really scary. I, I'm very glad that you bring this up because to me what's frightening is how the younger generation don't know what we know. Knowledge is empowerment every time. Primary sources like me are empowerment. Whether you agree with everything I say or not, uh you know, your audience out there, um the the we knew about nine eleven I first learned about 9-11 in April of 2001 from my CIA handler, Dr. Richard Fuse. And he called me into his office, and he said that he called me on the phone, and we talked on the phone every single day. He was a very good friend of mine. We were very close. And he, I, I respected him. I trusted him. I thought he had my back. I never would have imagined that any of this could go down um but it, we were so close that what happened later on shows how deeply frightened and threatened he was in order to back away from me so completely but he did <laughs> but at the time in April of 2001 he called me on the phone and he said when are you going to New York i had uh for since 1995 i had established so by by that time 6 years I had established contacts with Libya and Iraq, and I had been a back channel to the the embassies in New York for classified intelligence. It was totally covert at every level. No one except the CIA and the Defense Intelligence Agency and the White House, and only a few people at the White House, knew what I was doing. Um, Everything I did was watched very heavily. But I had been going up to New but the, but the ABC News, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News had no idea that such a thing existed. And if you talk, if you asked some, you know, so-called mucky muck talking head today, oh, was there a back channel? They'd say, oh, I'm CNN. No, there wasn't. Well, that's just wrong. There was. And I was it. So I got a call. And the whole point of the back channel was that when Iraq needed to communicate something, Confidentially, always most of it most of it involved anti-terrorism, because uh, there were certain issues even during sanctions and during hostilities that we still needed to keep track of whatever they knew and whatever whatever was going on in the Middle East. We needed a source to be able to get that information, and that was me.
4: Um, so. <laughs> And as this back channel, uh, you know, really, you know, today we see all this stuff about, uh, you know, the email leaks and all this paper stuff or electronic data and that. But the old way of doing it that, you know, apparently you're almost like at the, at the end of that way of doing business. And, and so, you know, you were the courier. You were, and it was in your head.
5: Human, human intelligence was the, the big thing until electronics. And electronic surveillance, in my opinion, misses 90%. See, as human intelligence, I can just go through and I know the history of what's happened. I know the psychology. I know the emotional content. I can, like, if you've got a, if you've got a question, I, I have it at my fingertips and I can, I know it in my brain and then I can go and say, well, here's the document that supports what I'm saying to you. Right. So I, I can be, I, I work from my, from my direct contact and direct in, interaction with these people and then I pull out whatever you actually need from my files. And, and so, you know, I did possess you know, now it's, you know, 15 years later and my work would no longer be totally confidential. But back in the, back in the day, it, you know, 20 years ago, 22 years ago, it was, it was, it was hyper, hyper, hyper confidential and secret, tops, top secret and above. And so.
3: Susan, I have a question, um about what you were doing compared to WikiLeaks. How do you feel about WikiLeaks? Because so much of what America and the world is consuming Is like they'll be on Twitter and they'll say WikiLeaks says this. The the basic. I
5: love WikiLeaks. You you love it. Okay. I love 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 WikiLeaks. I do. I believe deeply that our entire society benefits from direct access to the most intelligence you can get. I think that an educated public makes better decisions. And better guidance to politicians, and it scares me to see anybody in the demo like the Hillary Clinton crowd calling those people traitors. Pompeo, the CIA director, called Wikileaks a traitor. You know Trump was right on the cam- was correct on the ta- campaign trail when he said Julian Assange is our hero. You know, I, Trump said it first. He said, I love WikiLeaks. And I was like, yeah, you're going to be my president. I mean, really right. and truly, really and truly, why are you – not you. I realize you're not the ones who are attacking it. But anybody out there who's attacking Trump, you need to realize he is fighting the deep state for all of us. And he's got to win or we are all going to lose. They're gonna take our rights. The Democrats are the big massive surveillance state. The Democrats are the party of corruption. They are so dangerous and they, uh, eschew all, abjure all responsibility for their actions. They, they they, run from one lie to the next lie and they've got the, the corporate media feeding you this lies. And well, every time. I'm so we're gonna, gonna, gonna come back, but I'm let's here come here back,
4: I'm going to drag you back to 9-11 because uh, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do here is to get people to talk, you know, across the lines. And so if we, you know, I, I okay. Rachel I like- and I think both went uh, independent a long time ago and we, you know, went through the Ron Paul revolution and saw how badly we were treated. But we noticed that, you know, they constantly try to tell us that we only have two choices, Republican or Democrat. And I think both sides are getting dilute, uh with their parties, and so uh, one of our listeners, uh, Chatters, is asking, you know, how are you told about nine eleven? Uh, you didn't really say, or is that? Uh, that's, that's right. No,
5: no. I'll, I'll tell you. I can talk about that. Um, What I was, I was summoned to my, that's a good background about how things worked and in in my, what I was dealing with the, the, I was dealing with the ambassadors and senior diplomats at the Iraqi and Libyan embassies. I also had communications with Egypt and Syria and Yemen. Okay, so I... I uh, received a phone call from my CIA handler Dr. Richard Fuse, and he said come to my office I, I, I need you to go to New York and I need you to deliver a message and I and I need you to go right away I said okay fine that's what I did that I had no problem with that uh I was used to this I'd done it for many years by this point and I had you know had good relationships with the Iraqi diplomats and the Libyan diplomats and the ambassadors all of them so I'd walk into the embassy, they'd know immediately who I was and what I was there to do. Okay, so, uh, Richard Fuse said to me, uh, I have a message for you. We need to get information on any information that the Iraqis possess about, uh, airplane hijackings, uh, we, and we, we airplane hijackings, and we think, uh, there's gonna be some kind of strike on the World Trade Center. We, uh, we want the Iraqis to know that if there, if this attack occurs, uh, we are going to consider that an act of war against the United States and we're liable to go to war with them. I said, oh, well, I'll be happy to take that message. Sure, not a problem. This is April of 2001. And Iraq had always been our best source of terrorism intelligence. They were very good to us. Uh, they Saddam Hussein recognized this was one strength that he possessed, that he could play this card, that the United States would always, you know, he wanted to, you should have listened to him. You really were dumb not to listen to him. Uh, he said, you know, Iraq, we are a secular people. We're against the Islamic radicals. We think that they're very dangerous. We want to help you contain them. So he always proved it by being very, very, very helpful one of our best sources was Saddam Hussein now i go up to new york and i said hey guys uh but you guys are really great and uh i know that in february okay so i said i delivered this message i i delivered this message and and i said by the way and so the, the iraqi diplomats said okay we'll send that message by cable to baghdad no problem hey you know you know that in february We already agreed, uh, former Ambassador Saeed Hassan, who's now the Deputy Foreign Minister of Iraq, he already agreed that if you want to, that if the FBI wants to come over to Iraq, you're welcome to do it. If you think there's something going on, come on over. Sure, we'll process the visas and you can come right on in and do an investigation. Sure, go ahead. Tell them, tell them we'll send the cable to, to, uh, tell them we'll send the cable to uh ba- Baghdad and just have the FBI call us I said okay great i went back down to New- to washington and richard fuse called me up he said come to see my office i want a debrief i said oh great i gave him a debrief i said yeah they're going to cooperate they're sending the cable to to Mo- to uh excuse me to moscow <laughs> sending the cable to baghdad we're cool everybody's fine they're going to they they told you to send the fbi and they'll process the visas and this is no problem he said i didn't tell you to be nice to those people I said, what? <laughs> what? They're al- they're not allies, but they're, they're a great source of intelligence. We've never had any problem with Baghdad before. What are you talking about? He said, I told you, and he began screaming, I told you to tell those blankety, 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 sand niggers is the word he used, those towel heads, those MFers, blankety, blankety, blanks, cursing a storm storming around his conference desk. I told you to tell them that if they don't give us the bloody, 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 bloody intelligence, mucky, mucky, mucky words, all kinds of obscenities, then we're going to bomb them harder than they've ever been bombed before. We're going to bomb them back to the Stone Age. Now you go back to New York and bloody well you deliver the message exactly as I said. And don't come back and say that they're going to be gracious and helpful. That's not what I told you to do. You are to deliver the message exactly as I said. And tell them this message comes from the highest levels of government, above the Secretary of State, and above the Director of the CIA. Now, audience, those are only three individuals. That is the President of the United States, George Bush. That is the Vice President of the United States, Dick Cheney. And it is the Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld. So as of April... You have the, uh, the, the, uh, the top government attacking the Iraqis. And let me, you, you take this for one second. My cat is screeching in the background. Okay? Okay? okay. And she's like, I'm talking.
3: I want your attention. So t- take this for one okay, second. Okay, thanks. Okay. Now listen to me. Rob. Yes. Here's my question. So this was April. She knows all this going on in April before September 11th. How many months? So that's how many months? They're talking about it. The clip you just played before the show was Condoleezza Rice. Sorry about that. Okay. So Condoleezza Rice, we were just talking about the clip before the show, was Condoleezza Rice saying nobody could imagine this. Meanwhile, you, um, Susan, you're telling us that everybody has been imagining this, or at least everybody in your world.
5: Your everybody in my world at the very top of the government, and they had already decided as of April and May of 2001, that mm-hmm. if the attack occurred, Iraq would pay the price, that they would threaten Iraq with war. And so my CIA handler was trying to get uh, – my, my, we, we, are, we are preventive measures, okay? We are prevention, and we are proactive. And I can tell you that on our side of this, we would never have dropped this ball, and we never did. But what we found was, uh, I, so I went back in May to the Iraqi embassy and I delivered the message and I said, you know, this comes from the very top of the government. And apparently I was too, they, they've chastised me for being too modest in my statements to you before. And he said, oh dear. I said, yeah. Apparently they're very anxious, they're very aggravated and anxious about this and you need to send a cable to Baghdad that we need everything you've got as rapidly as you can get it to me. And I'll come back anytime. And he said, well, you know, and the diplomat was like, well, you know, we told you, you know, again, we told you in February that you can send the FBI in and if you think there's really a serious threat here, please, you know, I'll, you, I'll be here. I, I will leave a message in the embassy that they should contact me immediately if the FB, at any moment the FBI comes in and I will process your visas myself we'll get the FBI into Baghdad now this is May of 2001 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're saying come you know oh we'll process your visas immediately and uh we can we can get that we can get this turned around for you i can guarantee this and i'll make sure everybody's alerted to, to come get me immediately if, if they show up. So that was Iraq's response in May of 2001. Subsequently, they the, the Baghdad sent you know, all through the summer, all through the summer. My CIA handler and I, every week, we we every week we'd have meetings, and every week he'd talk about nine. We'd talk about this 9/11 attack. Um, very quickly, I know. I remember.
4: Did, did they ever b- bring up the the PNAC document? You know that. No. Uh, okay, no. so that was that never. was the neocons in the bathroom. Never,
5: room never, never. Yeah, I okay. know what it is, but they never talked about that. They and never talked about
4: that. One other character that I remember being on, you know, whenever they talked about Iraq, he was featured as almost as often as Saddam Hussein himself and that was the second in command who did most of the foreign travel, I believe, and Tariq
5: Aziz.
4: Tariq Aziz, and he was a Christian by the way, for those who think that, you know, Iraq was just a bunch of, you know, Muslims over there. Uh, Tariq Aziz was a, a Christian. So, did you ever have any contact with him or, you know, what do you what I, can you
5: not have contact with Tariq Aziz uh, uh, because Tariq would, Aziz was intelligent – or excuse me, I was doing intelligence and Tariq Aziz was foreign was was not in there. There's a difference. There there's a there's a soft difference, but it's important that he would not get tagged as a spy. That was one of the reasons he could travel was that he was not tagged as an Iraqi spy. So and- he was very careful. Not to meet me, though there was one time I was in the embassy and the United States was bombing Baghdad while Iraq, while Tariq Aziz was in the embassy and I was there downstairs and he was upstairs. And but but yeah, but, but Tariq Aziz and I never met because exa- for exactly that reason, because Tariq Aziz could never afford to be tagged as, as for espionage. It right. would have been disastrous.
4: I just found it very interesting that, you know, he lived out the rest of his days in prison, and, you know, I don't know if he was being interrogated or debriefed. I'm sure he probably was, but uh I would have loved to heard, you know, some of the stuff that he could have told us about what was going on in the back channels, because I'm sure he had, uh you know, he's privileged to a lot of information, but
5: no that's cool that's cool um but yeah but that's that's great um but that's what anyway that's what happened throughout the summer uh of of 2001 for months we talked about it we knew we had a very specific idea of what was going to happen that it would involve airplane hijackings and a strike on the world trade center as a known target and i'll tell you something originally the i regard this as a as a backdrop for the, quote, official story of 9-11. I think that the one of the – I have come to decide that in, in, in retrospect, um, I did not originally think this, but I've come to see it this way, uh, that they were establishing a cover for the official story, and they were trying to build a legend for it. That's what it's called, a legend. So they're creating a fake history Of what's going on. So they're trying to say. Look the CIA was really concerned about this. The CIA really tried to get this information. Iraq would not provide it. But of course that story then backfires. But we all. In the original official story. The original official story. Always included bombs. And I think that's important. We always said. That there would be a mini nuke. Somehow it was always a mini-nuke, uh not the thermate or anything like that, no types of derivatives of, of explosives. It was a mini-nuke that we expected would bring down the towers and that when the airplane hijacking occurred and the airplane struck the World Trade Center, the mini-nuke would be detonated. And I remember saying, I don't understand. And I remember Paul Hoven, my defense intelligence handler, saying, you know, we talked about this all the time, and all the time, and saying, but, but in, if an airplane strikes the World Trade Center, how will that detonate the nuke? Because we all know that we know that that an airplane crash does not is not sufficient to de- detonate a nuclear attack. It has to be. There's a there's a sequence of, of coding that has to be, you know, that, that it comes into play. So, so, so just how, you know, how are they going to get the bomb? How are they going to get a nuke on an airplane? And even if they, the airplane strikes the World Trade Center, how are they going to detonate the nuke? I kept asking that question over and over. Can I, ask how a, will that-
3: can I ask you a question? So you guys already had it in your head that there's going to be airplanes, that there was going to be some sort of bomb. Was it just the CIA or was it the other agencies starting to talk about this, too? Oh,
5: yeah. The Defense Intelligence Agency was all over it. Everybody. All the intelligence. It was the buzz. Everybody was talking about it as far as I knew. Everybody, yeah. But you see, anti-terrorism was um, smaller, much smaller. It was looking for a push. Well, we got the okay? show 24.
3: We got 24. Remember 24, that show? Do you remember it? Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. So it was right around that time they were already playing that. They were no, but but it. but they but they they were trying to push terrorism as a big event. Yeah. As a main event. But back in the day when I did anti-terrorism, I gave advance warning about the 93 World Trade Center attack. That's how I got into this. Um, I did. I was not aware of. Uh, I was young. I was 29 years old. I did not know about the FBI involvement, but I knew about the attack and I told some people, I told the Tunisian, the Tunisian embassy about it, uh for my own reasons that I'm not at liberty to discuss with you. Why I went to the Tunisians, I'm not going to tell you. But I did, and I knew that it would involve Egyptian radicals from the south of Egypt who were trying to assassinate Hosni Mubarak. So I contacted the Tunisians, which turned out to be a very good move. And that's all I can say. Uh, and, but they knew that I, they knew that I was capable of interacting with diplomats and that I would be confidential and that I could put together terrorism scenarios on my own, on my own capability. So I'd already done this. I already gave advance warning also about the bombing of the USS Cole. That intelligence came from the Iraqis. Uh, we'd had a lot of little in, of information about smaller attacks, but I want to emphasize these were real attacks. Okay. They were now very important. The USS Cole is a very good example of a real attack that is exploited. It's, it's a variation of a false flag. Because real terrorists plan it out, and the United States tracks the intel- finds out intelligence about it, and then the United States stands down and lets it happen. So Mm -hmm. that they can negotiate with ye- in this case, Yemen, and I was good friends with the Deputy Ambassador of Yemen, so I actually told the Deputy Ambassador of Yemen before- five days before the attack. Five days before the attack, I, told, I went up to my uh, the deputy ambassador, Alcindy, and I told him about it myself. And I said, you need to be thinking about how you are going to cooperate with the United States in addressing this threat when it happens. You need to have a plan. Because I was sick to death of seeing, like Libya and Iraq under sanctions. Poor Yemenis—they're—they're—they're they're, they're an impoverished people. They're some of the—they're they're dirt poor. They're the most—the most hungry, hard scrabbled people anywhere on the earth. And I—I I grieve for these people. So I was like, I don't want you to end up under sanctions. You need to figure. You need to be able to deal with this so that you don't fall under this sw- of what's happened to all these other. Now, okay, okay, sanctions, I'm gonna, sanctions yeah. that brings us
3: back to Iraq is that why you were dealing with Iraq at that time because they were just
5: under- deeply under-, yeah. under I was deeply opposed to sanctions which right were killing, right. yeah which the sanctions the, the uh, neoliberals, war mongers, neoliberal war mongers and the neoconservative war mongers both deride the com- the impact of sanctions but sanctions killed. Um, between 1.7 million and 2.2 2 million Iraqis. Right, right. And it's and just, and, mentioned- and I, and I, and do please do not argue with me on these figures. No, I will know not. the figures. No, uh, I, Madeline no. Albright in 1990, at the beginning of 1996, Madeline Albright was asked about 500,000 children. Under the age of five, the, mm-hmm. the the United Nations and the World Health Organization only counted children five and under and adults over the age of 65. They did and not. I have that
4: clip. I have, <laughs> that, clip. I have that, I, that clip. I'm going to roll it right now, so people will know what, what you're talking about.
3: We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when
5: in, in Hiroshima, and and. You know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price—we think the price is worth it. Oh, Madeline Albright, yep. and you got to realize the sanctions. That was in 1996. The sanctions continued for another seven years, and the children continued to die. So by that was in 500,096. By 2000. Uh, 2003, it was over 1 million had died. But why? So, would the, why would the UN? Why would the UN change the numbers like that? Why? Because they're ashamed of it. The United Nations is a, a lazy. It's it's a country club atmosphere. It's- they do they are the weak countries get to send like third world countries get to send their diplomats and their ambassadors to new york and it 's a party town yeah it's it 's like, like a party university do you go there to do you go to did you go to study or did you go to have to the, to play sports well you you know a lot of people go there for the sports. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it's of, about in, at the United Nations.
3: Yeah, one of the congressmen that I dealt with pretty religiously, um, and he's mentioned in my books to the people that have read my books, and I've, in my book he's called Stan the Congressman. I asked him one time in real life, I said, well, why can't the UN do anything? He said, because they're the most useless organization out there. And I was like, are you kidding me? Because I grew up with this idea that the UN was like all powerful. He said, it's the most useless organization out there. It's kind of, and like you just said, it's like a country club.
5: Blew me away. So you're saying exactly what if Congress It's you have very disappointing. Very disappointing. And I'll tell you, I am somebody who believes that it could be so good. It could be so necessary to have a, a, a meeting place for different countries. But then you see Angelina Jolie tapped as mm-hmm. a or Madonna. I think was once uh, no. uh, you know, Madonna, um, I don't know if you it was Madonna Angelina Jolie. There have been Definitely. several who are just, you know, you want to you, you're just appalled yeah. that these people are, are like goodwill ambassadors. And really, they just want their they just they, they want their their photo snaps. They want their they want their cocktail hour. They have very big, cushy apartments in New York City. Uh, they're you know it's it's a good life. Yeah. It is a, it is the best life that any I mean anywhere on the planet yeah. you don't get better than that.
4: Well, you really a lot don't. Of people get appointed because of their you know because of their fundraising you know to get someone elected right. That's how you get well,
5: or in, but in third world countries they it's it's a promotion for the a family of um. Uh, you know like if if you have a tyrant government, then you reward your supporters by giving them this this uh sycophant what do you call it sinecure position it 's a sinecure position so mm-hmm. you you get your you know you get your you, you get your kid off to Harvard and you get to go be the ambassador to the country or be a diplomat for the country it 's a very prestigious thing for those countries to do. It really is, and a lot of them they'd have no opportunities if they were at home at all. So right. anyway, you co- to come back to nine eleven and yeah, and what is, was going pull it back. on. So yeah, yeah pull so it, pull sanctions it back are going on. People are dying. Yeah, so so we have, but we have. uh So I, that's why I was doing it was to oppose the sanctions, and I was I was very offended by it, but at the same time that nine eleven in the in the months before nine eleven, I was also Involved in negotiations to resume the weapons inspections, and I was in direct contact with the Iraq's ambassador and senior diplomats on the Security Council, also Malaysia, Yemen, as I mentioned already, um, and so we had uh, the 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 whole world had become sick to death of this appalling and immoral policy. The United Nations could not stomach it any longer. They wanted peace with Iraq. Everybody was looking at Iraq's oil supplies. Iraq was cutting deals on the side with all these different countries saying, you know, hey, come help me. Come help us get our sanctions off. And as soon as sanctions are lifted, Japan and South Korea will buy automobiles from you and We'll buy medical supplies from you and we'll buy all these, you know, and, and, and you know, here's a, we got to rebuild our entire economy. Everything in our economy, we have to build from scratch. So we have to start over because we've been gutted to zero. And so all of these European countries are looking, oh, this, this deeply immoral policy of killing all these children versus a peace dividend that would have rivaled the reconstruction of Germany and Japan. And they're all looking at this and going, oh, this is a good deal. Let's do it. So the United States and Britain had become very isolated. And everyone, and a lot of people, the French knew I was doing it, the Malaysians knew I was doing it, and they were all hoping I would succeed in getting George Bush on board. And so they, this was in the day, and people... Life. This is how much life has changed. It used to be that the United States called the tune and we would have to be satisfied before any resolution of sanctions was undertaken. It used to be that people actually cared what we thought. Not because of our moral authority, because we'd never had moral authority. We just wink, wink at it. But what we had was power, raw power an economic muscle. So, Well, I want to talk
4: a little bit about Iran because, I mean, Iraq, excuse me, because before we went in Bobnum, that was a very, very Western nation, you know, and I mean, you could look through Baghdad in some of those early pictures, and it looked like it might be a city in New Mexico. And I think you mentioned on one of your podcasts, I hope I didn't get this wrong, but they were the second country in the world to ever actually perform uh, a human heart transplant. And so that shows that they were really very advanced. And, yes, uh,
5: they were. They were very, very advanced, and it's so sad what we did to those countries. The, the, to Iraq, uh, they had the a, a a hospital medical care that rivaled all of Europe, and you know Cedar Sinai in Los Angeles, and Sloan Kettering in New York, and the Mayo Clinic. We, they had the, they had the best healthcare in the Middle East and people would come from all over the Middle East to go to their hospitals. And they had fancy cars and fancy clothes and they were very westernized. Yeah. They were highly Europeanized. Highly, uh, they, they truly, Saddam, considered that Iraq was the buffer against Iran and a buffer against the Islamic radicals. And he was suppressing the Shia somewhat, but not like you've been told. That is totally not true. Uh, the, but what we see is that he was suppressing Islamic radicalism, whether it was Sunni or Shiite. The Islamic radicals of any denomination were suppressed. They were. That is factually true. But that's also what we wanted. Yeah. Okay, We supported that. And so let's not pretend that Saddam was doing anything except what we wanted him to do. We were very – that was the part of Saddam that we all liked. And he tried to play on that for us by saying you know, he would not deal with Islamic radicalism. He did not like it, did not want any – you know, he considered that Islamic radicals would take advantage of the deep, Poverty and despair of the Iraqi people under sanctions, and that they would torpedo his his uh modernity, his modernism, his secularism um, and so he built a lot of mosques he he tried to balance it by building mosques, but he and beautiful, beautiful mosques, huge, magnificent, beautiful mosques. Even during sanctions, which was really extraordinary, uh, if you, if you, when I think of what Saddam Hussein was able to do with nothing, st- with just sheer force of will and determination and ingenuity, with no money at all, and, and, but, but if you think about it, what has the desert got? The desert has got sand. Duh. Okay, the desert has got sand. What do you need for concrete? Sand. So what could they do? They could build. They built stadiums. They built palaces. They built a lot of mosques. But he suppressed, but the imams that he put into power at those mosques were controlled moderates at all times. He did not tolerate any extremists. He screened, he scrutinized them very closely. Now, this is the the bath party? Yes, the bath Uh party. But he—he he was, sorry? you know, he, it was the bath party, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Okay. Just like Syria, just like Syria, what uh, Hafez al-Assad, the senior uh, father of Bashar al-Assad, but there was no reason for this war. The anyway, the coming back to nine eleven. I think that the reason for 9/11 was that the world was so exhausted of these sanctions. The world wanted peace with Iraq. If you had gone into if George Bush and the neocons had gone to the United Nations as as weak and me- mediocre as they are and said, "Well, we want to have a war." It they would have they would have been it would have been the one thing the United States could never do. It just it was just it was impossible. They had to have a Pearl Harbor scenario so that they could get the war of their dreams right. okay yep. and that's was 911
4: right i have this uh, short clip from the, from uh, for Vendetta that uh, it's you know it's basically what uh, what's going on here you, you know whether it's manchester or 911 it's kind of uh, what they do
2: what we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country This message must be read in every newspaper, heard on every radio, seen on every television. This message must resound throughout the entire interlink. I want this country to realize that we stand on the edge of oblivion. I want every man, woman and child to understand how close we are to chaos. I want everyone to remember why they need us.
0: In the former United States, civil war continues to devastate the Midwest.
4: So, yeah, that's-
5: oh, civil war in the Midwest. We may be pretty close to that, people. We'll get to that at the end yeah. of the show. Yeah. I know. But, I know before one we go to our thing-
4: break, though, uh, Susan, before we go to our break, you know, y- y- you're right. In- no,
5: I don't want to go to break right now. No, no. I-
4: we're not right now, but I, I I want you to talk about uh how did you get into this position? I mean, you you've lived this life of intrigue that you know. Well, well
5: now before before we do that, uh, I there's a lot of things I can't tell you, so I don't want to I don't I I've told you what I can tell you about my background and how I did already, but but let me let me just say that that the reason for nine eleven was that peace. Th- this is very important, I think. The reason for 9-11, when it comes down to it, is that peace was breaking out all over the world. And I want you to think about that. I want your audience to think about peace versus 9-11. And I want you to all to think about the whole Russia collusion meme and the demonization of Moscow. Why are we doing this? There is no reason for this. What they're doing to Trump, Trump wants collaboration with ISIS. That's a very good policy. That would solve the problem, probably. Syria and Russia have been beating ISIS. Uh, Aleppo has already come back to Syrian control. The the, 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 the ISIS fighters and the Islamic radicals have been pushed farther and farther out uh, towards Raqqa, towards Turkish, the Turkish Kurdistan t- territories. And they, are, believe me, Moscow and Syria are are kicking booty to get this thing done. They are so scared of what's going to happen to the United States. But they're winning. Okay, they are winning right now. So as far as I'm concerned, those are the good guys. Standing with Syria and Assad, Assad is like, uh, just like Saddam was very secular, um, very tolerant, there are 22 sects, religious sects in Syria, and all of them receive protection, Christian, Muslim, the Aramaic language of Jesus Christ is spoken at a little village in Syria to this day, and they were, and the, the local imams protect them, and they worship each other's holidays, and they celebrate each other. They had the most beautiful Christmas tree in Aleppo, and the whole, I mean, amazing. Aleppo had just fallen, and they had a Christmas tree. It's not like a tree with, you know, like a like a wooden tree. <laughs> it's a tree of lights that they had, but it was just magnificent considering that they had just come through this this hideous war. Russia is cleaning up the IEDs and the the explosive the booby-trapped buildings. They're clearing out the rubble and people are going back to Aleppo to their apartments and their houses even though there is no that what they say is there are no walls. OK, they go back to the apartment where they've lived for 20 years or where they're uh, 50 years and there are no walls. There is no kitchen. There is just a floor.
4: Some and of they're the sweeping
5: government. it out and they're building their lives all over again. It's <laughs> it's it is a story of, of resilience. And we should all be so proud of Syria for this. And what what are the deep state doing John McCain, Ron Wyden, I will never forgive Ron Wyden, Adam Schiff, all these crazy Nancy Pelosi Democrats screaming, we want war, we want war. The neoliberals are just as awful as the neoconservatives. And I want you to think, what was Iraq like under peace? Why? What did you gain from 9-11? What It bankrupted our country. We now have a $20 trillion deficit. Mm -hmm. And we are in the same situation right now with Iran and with Russia. Okay? And now the crazy warmongers screaming, Russia, 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 in my head. Russia, Russia, in my bed. Russia, Russia, everywhere. Russia, Russia, snowflakes, scared. I just... That I'm was, serious! No, it's like these children. Question, it is a children's nursery rhyme. You got, not you guys, but the I audience know. out there, you are making up a children's story. That's my point. It is a children's I 100%. story demonizing, demonizing Russia. And it's just like before 9-11. It is. Just like before 9-11.
3: Susan, since we just talked about Syria a little bit, how great it was, why do you think Trump decided to
5: bomb that airport? Oh, well, let me tell you he 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 it was actually a good choice. That airport is where um there was a depot at the at that airport supplying weapons to both sides of the conflict.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: oh, so it was a weapons depot at the airport and ISIS fighters and Syrian fighters were both stocking up there. So what they did was he destroyed the weapons used in the war. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, President Trump, I love you even more. <laughs> because so that rim- is exactly what they should have done. They did not, they didn't, they, they. it was a targeted attack. I think the worst part of it is that it took 59 cruise missiles. And only 23 got through. Yeah, that is a bad sign that we're spending this huge money, huge waste. You know, it's not fraud in that situation. There's a lot of fraud, but the huge waste and most of these weapons, half of the weapons don't even work. They're just duds. No, it's
3: exactly true. That um, remember the smart bomb when it first came out during Iraq? That whole thing, like, they would have it on TV, and they'd have, like, they'd show the smart bomb flying direct uh-huh. to a doorway. And I was doing marketing communications for this defense contractor where we made the gyroscopes for that bomb. And this was, like, the biggest hilarious thing. They'd always show these pictures of it going straight through a doorway. I'll tell you how many of those. It was literally three that actually hit its target. Of the original smart bombs out of those huge shipment
5: of those smart bombs, only three actually hit what it was supposed to do. Wow. Yeah. A huge waste. And, and, and I'll tell you, Russia has better technology and a more, oh, here we go. We'll be right back. Oh.
4: That was so interesting. <laughs> so thank you. That's...
5: Yeah, right
3: on. We're going to be here for the next hour. So.
1: People support American Freedom Radio. And I hope people vote with their dollars and really understand the value of having American Freedom Radio. Cause that's my family. If you love me at all, Jack Blood, support American Freedom Radio. Like my family has literally disowned me. American Freedom Radio. Danny and Don and those guys, those are my actual family. So please, please support these guys because they have all the technology, they have all these great things that they're going to do, but obviously they can't do it all by themselves. So not only would I like to see you support them, I'd like to see you retweet them and repost them and really get involved and get on the the bandwagon, so to speak, on doing that do-it-yourself promotion because they're a do-it-yourself radio network and, uh, and we just need that so much.
6: Did you know there are 3 million edible food plants on Earth and none have the nutritional value of the hemp plant? HempUSA.org offers you hemp protein powder. It does not contain chemicals or THC, is non-GMO, and is 100% gluten-free. Hemp protein powder burns fat, builds muscle, contains 53% protein, and feeds the body the nutrients it needs. Call 888-910-4367 and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you. Only at HempUSA.org. Ifusa.org introduces three brand new detox formulations of microplant powder: Brain Fuel for depression, bipolar disorders and stress, Total Care, anti-cancer agent that cleans the liver and organs and increases memory, Rejuvenate, invigorates and heals the body, mind and spirit. These products are your alternative to pharmaceuticals. Call 888-910-4367 and like us on Facebook. We ship worldwide
1: only at ifusa.org. This is Rick Simpson, and you're listening to American Freedom Radio.
5: Yo, what's up? Check this
1: out. The voice of the revolution. American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio. And when we're not invading some sovereign nation, or setting it on fire from the air, which is more fun for our Nintendo pilots, then... Then we're usually declaring war on something here at home. Did you ever notice that about us? We love to declare war on things here in America. Anything we don't like about ourselves, we declare war on it. We don't do anything about it. We just declare war on it. It's the only metaphor, the only metaphor we have in our public discourse for solving problems, declaring war. We have to declare war on everything. We have a war on crime, the war on poverty, the war on litter, the war on cancer, the war on drugs. But did you ever notice? we got no war on homelessness. No war on homelessness. You know why? There's no money in that problem. No money to be made off of the homeless. If you can find a solution, if you can find a solution to homelessness where the corporate swine and the politicians could steal a couple of million dollars each, you see the streets of America begin to clear up pretty quick. I'll guarantee you that. I will guarantee you that.
0: You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow, friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom, and loyalty. The founders of AFI wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio at YMail.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs, and artillery batteries not included.
6: No rules. No rules. No taboo topics. No taboo topics. No fear of doom. No fear of doom. We are are American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio.
1: (laughs)
0: Welcome, independent researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind, Shadow Citizen. Your hosts, Rachel L. McIntosh and Rob Botel. All right.
3: Extreme. That's how I feel after this first hour with Susan Lindauer. We're covering all sorts of things I thought would be just focusing on 9-11 because she's a first hand account from inside the U.S. intelligence agency. We haven't even heard the half of our story. We haven't even got it up to 9-11 yet. We just know now that the whole entire intelligence world knew about 9-11 before it happened. And the story that they told us on the news about how no one could ever anticipate anything like that ever happening, planes smashing into a building, we couldn't have foreseen that. Well, that's a whole load of BS. They did know about it. And so there's all these people out there marching around that knew this was going to happen. And Susan was at that place where she, uh, she's going to take us through what happens next. Obviously everybody knows 9-11 well, happened. An,
4: uh, an integral part of, you know, how, you know, whoever the deep state is and whatever agency they use, you know, uh, and this happens all over the world and it's kind of part of, We probably don't have time to go into like Project Gladio, but you know, take some time and look it up if you've never heard it before. And uh, but we're going to talk about their assets, uh, whether they're FBI or CIA. And an asset isn't necessarily always somebody that's working for the government. It might be someone who ends up being a, a patsy. Is that correct, Susan? Or
5: yeah, that's true, that's true, uh, a patsy. but they usually know that they are. But, but before we, before we get into that, I want to tell you what happened in August of 2001, the month before 9-11. There's a huge flurry of activity tied to, uh, and I can tell you, it was timed exactly, I can tell you the days because of Robert Mueller's Senate confirmation hearings to head the FBI. He had just been named FBI director and on the day that this that my internal clock starts was the day of his Senate confirmation hearings. And I was on the phone. I was at a uh, doing a, a consulting job and I was at on the job at the office and I spoke with my CIA handler by phone and I said, "You know, uh, we, we, were talk, we were talking, and I said, oh, Robert Mueller, there's never been a case he doesn't throw. He said, oh, what are you talking about? I said, oh, Oklahoma City is a one. And I said, uh, and he and Richard said, well, what's really going to be disturbing is if there's no FBI director when this terrorism attack goes on. And I said, you think it's going to be soon? And he said, oh, I think it's imminent i think the attack is imminent and what's going to happen if he's not even confirmed when when there's no fbi if there's no fbi leadership when this goes down and i said oh and and he said yeah it's imminent and i said well then i'll go back up to new york and i'll go see my iraqi ex or my my iraqi um embassy friends and see if they've got any news from baghdad now this was oh gosh i'm going to say august 2nd August 2nd that was it was a Thursday August 2nd and uh, and Richard's response was oh no don't go up there it's too dangerous it is too dangerous I do not want you going to New York Um, we're expecting mass casualties in this attack and you shouldn't be up there until after it's over so I said well you know it's I'll just go up real fast and I won't spend the night I'll just come right back I'll just come right back to New York, or right back to Washington DC. I'll just drive up for the day, have my meetings and come home. And he said, good, don't spend the night, don't spend the night. And then after this, don't go back because we were at this point always expecting the official story originally was airplane hijackings and a strike on the World Trade Center as a known target, but also a miniature nuke. That was. We always believed the towers would come down. Where always. was? Ask
3: a question. Where was that information coming from,
5: Susan? That was coming from the CIA.
3: So the CIA. But what source were they getting it from?
5: We. I have no idea. Oh yeah. I, I was getting it from my CIA handler. That's what I know. Yeah. Okay. I cannot speculate where it was Where he right. got it from, except he got it from. We all. We. It's just by this point, we all just knew what was going oh, to happen. Right. We all knew what was going to happen exactly. We were all, we'd already, the story had already been planted in our brains and we were already ruminating over it. So how, so how do people- Hold on, hold on, hold okay, on. Go ahead. Uh, let, uh, let me, I gotta tell you the sequence of events. Okay, can, yeah, tell me the whole so thing. August 2nd uh, is Robert Mueller's Senate confirmation hearing. August 4th, I go up to New York. And my Iraqi diplomat friends say, ah, Susan, you know, you've been asking us this all summer long. We just don't have anything. Believe me, you know, they're scratching their heads. We're like, we know that if there, if this attack goes down, we're going to get bombed into the Stone Age. But we just don't have anything to give you. We just don't know anything at all. The only people who know about, here's very important. The only people who know about this attack are you. You are the source. When we, all of our, all of our, all of our intelligence is backtracing tracing to Washington. In other words there's no we're not hearing anything from the Saudis, we're not hearing anything from the Germans, everything is tracing back to you. So I said to them, "Okay, well I'll just go back and and I went back to that was August 4th. Now, on August 6th is a very important date because they gave um, the uh the presidential briefing memo to uh Donald to excuse me Donald Trump to George Bush in Crawford Texas and oh gosh was it Richard I want to say it's Richard Clark who gave it to him uh, I think that's who it was but they gave him the presidential briefing and he said yeah yeah oh the CIA keeps talking about this this attack yeah yeah you've covered your your you you've CYA CYA you've covered your butt now let's go play golf that was George Bush
3: mm-hmm.
5: and at the same time that he was having that, uh, that Richard Clark was having that conversation with Bush, I was in the meeting with my CIA handler saying, how are we going to get this information to the president or how are we going to get this, how are we going to get action on this? Not not how are we going to get it to the president. How are we going to get uh, action? How can we trigger this a response so we can stop this attack? And we talked about two things. One, my cousin was Andrew Card, chief of staff to George Bush. And so I told Richard I would go see him. And I did. I went and sat outside his house for about two hours, chain smoking. It was when I still smoked cigarettes. Chain smoking in my car. While the neighbors looked out of their windows and their curtains at the this car parked in front of the chief of staff to George Bush, it was very, you know, I was like, oh God, I half expected the 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 uh, the, the police to show up and the Fairfax County police to show up and say, oh, uh, what are you doing here, woman? Please leave. <laughs> I was like, you know, where is he? I gotta speak to Andy. I gotta find Andy. The other thing that I did, which was very, did, did you find Ind- him? No he never came back he was on he was on august is the month when everything shuts down in washington and he was gone for the holidays so i left and i felt like i was making the biggest mistake of my life that i had to talk to him and 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 i would regret that for like for the rest of my life if i didn't speak to him and for years i or not for years but for for a long time after 911 i did regret it but the other thing that i did Uh, now this was August 6th that I had the conversation with Richard Fuse. It's August 8th that I, 8th, maybe August 9th, maybe August 9th that I go see Andrew Card for two hours and say, August 9th, maybe even August 10th that I do that, Thursday or Friday. But on August 8th, which was Wednesday, I telephoned the office of a, now, this is historic for me. This is what triggers my crisis. I telephoned the office of Attorney General John Ashcroft. I had been given a, an inside DOJ phone number for emergencies in the event that I was ever not able to speak to my handlers, Richard or Paul. There had been a couple of situations when I had been in danger when I, because of my background, because of what I was doing, I was either in danger or um, I once had an Iraqi tried to defect through me, and they uh, it, it didn't go quite the way that everybody wanted wished that it had gone later on and my excuse was well I didn't know how to it was nighttime I didn't know how to get hold of you so they gave me a phone number to call in in an emergency, and they said, whoever answers this phone. We'll be able to look across the room and see Attorney General John Ashcroft. He will have the message in 30 seconds flat. This is the number you call. This was the only time I ever used that phone number. But sure enough, I did, and I called, and I said, I have an emergency. I am seeking an emergency. I've gone through this so many times in my head because of my later prosecution. I can tell you the exact words that I used and because of the grief and the disappointment and the bitterness and the sadness over it. I said, um, I retraced myself just over and over beating myself up over it. I said, I have an emergency broadcast alert across all federal agencies. I We are seeking, uh, I cover the, the Libya House and the Iraqi Embassy, We are seeking any fragment of intelligence involving airplane hijackings and a strike on the World Trade Center as a known target. We expect a miniature thermonuclear device to be used, possibly a suitcase bomb, but we expect mass casualties as a result of the combination of these forces. And, you know, at that point, I wasn't even thinking, how are they going to get the bomb into the building? We just thought we just everybody was keyed into the fact that the bomb would be used. So we believed the bomb would be there. And we believed that the World Trade Center would be destroyed by the explosion. And everybody was going to die. Thousands of people were going to die. We always knew it. Everything that happens, we knew. Okay. So I said, I need an, I, hold on, hold on. No, no, let me finish, let me finish. Okay. I said, I, I need an emergency broadcast alert. And, and DO, the Attorney General's office said, I will give this message to John Ashcroft. And I, here is a phone number for the Office of Counterterrorism. Mm. I want you to, hold on, let me finish. I want you to call this number and repeat exactly what you did, what you told me and tell them. Now this is very important because when they hung up the phone, Attorney General John Ashcroft apparently said, and this has been reported in other, in other media, oh those CIA, they keep talking about this terrorism attack, ignore it. And John Ashcroft said, ignore it. But, but because they had given me the phone number for the Office of Counterterrorism, I called those people and those People did it as a result in F- the FBI in Minneapolis. Colleen Rowley, who is I, um, I respect her very much, but she's not exactly right that the F- that the CIA never told the FBI. And if only we had told the FBI, they would have done something about it. We did tell the FBI and that is a fact we did. So when she was on the cover of Time Magazine and all, it was nonsense. I, I love the fact that she got to be on the cover of Time Magazine or Newsweek or whatever. You know, Woman of the Year, Whistleblower of the Year. Nonsense, nonsense. I was the Whistleblower of the Year. <laughs> but I was in jail by this point. Oh so, I, I, uh, the, 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 the Office of Counterterrorism did put out a bolo on this. And the, office, the FBI office in Minneapolis of all places, who would think it? Who would think they'd be training out there in Minneapolis or it would be in any way connected? But they had picked up Zachariah Mosawi and they had his computer. And in response to our request, they said, We've got it right here. Well isn't this extraordinary? We just picked this guy up and it turns out he's the missing hijacker. Okay? Mm-hmm. He's the missing hijacker. So they're like, we've got his computer. We want to break it open. We want a FISA approval. We want to have, you know, and and we want to we want to have permission. We want a warrant to go into his computer. And John Ashcroft blocked it. Blocked it. Now
3: this is, this is the guy that was telling you just ignore it. Yeah,
5: that's right. And so he was covering up. He was blocking the FBI, and, and this is very important. This is like the death of JFK when the Secret Service is, is ordered to stand down before the assassination. This is, um, you know, 9-11, you know, this is let it happen versus make it happen, okay? There is a healthy dose of make it happen just by not taking actions that are regular protocols, so they contributed to the, the attack by even the people who were trying to get action, like the FBI in Minneapolis, like me, like 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 our like uh, Richard Clark, who later would deny, who would play games about the truth and would deceive the public about this stuff for a long time. They deceived public, the public about what was in this personal briefing memo, and. All of this. So, so they, so, so they, they lie. There's a lot of lies that are told right at that moment. And, and that's why you need to know that there was a lot more knowledge and a lot more attempt to get action. And we were being blocked and punished. But of course, the, the, the grand kahuna of the lies of all time is this. And you've all heard the story on the day of, okay, so, there's one more thing I need to say. For, apparently, I have learned from a state department source that who, who can never go public because he's afraid of losing his pension, that for about 10 days, from about August 23rd till about September 3rd, strange vans were seen entering the parking garage at the World Trade Center at about 3 o'clock in the morning. After, very definitely after, the janitorial trucks had left at about 2.30. So they, they, the janitorial trucks were all out of the building. There was a healthy space of time, about half an hour, and then these mystery vans showed up. And what were they doing inside the World Trade Center? Were they putting something in? Were they taking something out? Where Was both going on? Something was happening. They had never been there before. They left by 5 a.m. every morning. They arrive 3 o'clock, leave at 5 o'clock a.m. before the early risers, the AAA personalities from Wall Street arrive to go to start their day at the World Trade Center to check the Asian markets. Mm -hmm. And there, so there, so there is some strange activity for about 10 days. Then there's one more thing that every American can verify. On the morning of 9-11 itself, who else but George Bush, President George Bush, who is a man I hate, loathe, detest, and revile like you cannot imagine. On that morning, he busted out in the emotion and said something. He made a spontaneous confession. He said that before he went into the classroom, now... Listen to this. Before I went into the classroom, I saw a video on television of the first airplane striking the World Trade Center. And I said to myself, golly, that's a really lousy pilot because I used to fly myself. I said, that pilot, you Whether know, was it a suicide? Was it, you know. Golly, that's a lousy pilot. And that is a confession that there was a video. Okay? There was a video on site that, and that meant, now he was in Florida and the attack is in New York City, which is how many, a thousand, God only knows, a thousand miles away for the sake of discussion. And yet, had a, the President of the United States had a closed circuit video to monitor the attack, as it occurred, that requires, that confession right there, requires advanced knowledge of the attack, and it's very much like what you see these crazy media doing now, this grossly irresponsible media, fabricating lies, and pummeling us, and beating us, Trump is bad, Trump is bad, Trump is bad, and we got to have war with Russia. we got to have war with Russia. Oh, Trump's in the way. Trump's collaborating with Russia. Oh, there's collusion. Oh, my. We better impeach Trump because we want war with Russia. And all these crazy, dumb little snowflakes are out there saying, oh, Russia. Like I said, it's like a child's story, a children's story. Russia, Russia, in my my head. I do not respect you at all. I'm so angry at
4: you. I, I know you are, uh, <laughs> Susan, but like I say, we want to try to, uh, build bridges across, you know, and get, uh, you know, the snowflakes drive me crazy, but then so do, uh, you know, the far right, you know, they're, they're both, uh, so we have are to, figure out a way to communicate with each other and, and that, but I, I want to get back to this Trump thing. I mean, this, uh, Bush in the, in the classroom surrounded by children, uh, you know, I, I have this sneaking suspicion that, you know, because that uh, elementary school was not, you know, far from an airport. And I'm just guessing, you know, what would have happened if uh, a plane would have plowed into that school where Bush was, you know, or something happened where. A, oh, it, no,
5: uh, that wasn't going to happen. No, no, no. They, they did, but, however, have.
4: Well, we, we let you run for a long, long time. So let me let me just plug this in, because just think about it, you know, had had. Bush died in a classroom full of children, and we know that, you know, from Oklahoma City and other places that they have no problem with killing children. Even Madeline Albrecht said, well, the price is worth it. Uh, but had he died in there, uh, you know, Dick tater uh Cheney would have been you know president for a while and Dick had a bad ticker and uh so it's possible that he might have you know they would have said well his health isn't good and w- let's let's have Jeb stand in you know take over for his brother so uh, it, it could have happened that you know No
5: no you can't do you know, that no, no, right, sweetie, you can't, can't do that there's is,
4: there is there's is never
5: a possibility of one bush substituting for another no. never
4: no. Uh, in the, in the, in the theater of public opinion, they could have no. played. Like no, that. You, can't. Yeah. Well, there, you can't. There's, there's a chain there. of,
5: there's a chain of, of who takes over in an impeachment process, or there's a, there's a, a survivor. Yeah, no, it's impossible. That's, that's one thing I've got to, I've got to contradict right away. They can't do that.
4: Okay, I will give you that, but, uh, it's something that's played in my mind, because, yeah, Never. I heard about the, you know, the Bush, uh, you know, seeing the video, and I'm a pilot also, and, uh, but there, there's a lot of strange things. You know, you keep, you know, bringing down, uh, mentioning it about a nuke. And yet if you watch the towers coming down, they are being blown apart from the top down. There
5: you go, yes.
4: So yes. it's not but, like... But, but what, here's
5: the thing, I'm not defending nuke a nuke theory. Down,
4: but it had to be a, a series of them possibly, you know, micro nukes, you know, every five. five, no, ten. No, no,
5: no, no let, let me, let me just stop you what i'm saying to you is that the official story prior to the attack the legend that they were creating always included explosives and it always included destroying the entire world trade center always that was the the original story now the reality is you know that there might have been a combination of bombs probably a mini nuke in the basement but Definitely thermite, uh, or, or, or I excuse me, I would refer you to architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth who studied the dust, right. and, and go to science at that point. Go to yeah. science and listen. Whatever, you know, the, the people who have do, who, who do this for a living and do demolitions, it was a controlled demolition, and those are the people who can tell you the type of explosives that were used in real life. I'm just saying to you that it, in the official legend before the attack there was always explosives used but we, oh, but we, in we had yeah. Tony
4: Zamboni on uh in who, no, he, he was a real engineer's engineer and number cruncher and you know he talked about a lot of things and and one of the things you know that this is you know a lot talk about is the bathtub that the towers were built in and so it was uh very important to, to not break that bathtub because everything would have been flooded in lower Manhattan so how the buildings came down uh, you know is still a mystery even to the architects and engineers they don't know what did it all they know is that the official story doesn't hold water uh, it wasn't uh, office fires that brought the buildings down it wasn't jet fuel uh, Tony goes through that there just wasn't enough heat uh, BTUs available to raise the temperature of the steel high enough where they would be even begin to sag and cause the, you know, systematic c- collapse of the building. So, uh, you know, it, exactly.
5: it, Tony exactly. did
4: just a wonderful job. He's yeah, a, he was a great
3: director. interview.
4: Uh, he 's a brilliant guy, but yeah the you know let, let's you know let 's t- spend some time and talk about assets you know about these different guys. Uh, I know judge napolitano was on uh, was on fox and i I should have thought to grab this clip, but you know he talks about of the fourteen terrorist uh, you know attacks that uh, the FBI stopped, twelve of them were with you know people that the FBI already knew about, and it 's the same way with you know the, the the Zachariah brothers, you know, or, uh, I get the, I'm pronouncing that wrong. The Boston bombing guys, uh, in this guy in Manchester, this latest one, they all were on the radar of the, you know, of the special police were following them and they knew about these guys in advance before anything happened. So how are they able to walk into an area with all kinds of explosives or weapons well, or whatever? In
5: this, in this case, um I, the, the Tsarnaev brothers in Boston, oh boy, I don't think that our, that their story is known. I think that it's possible the older brother may have been a, an asset, an informant. An asset is like an informant, it's human intelligence. They were obviously being monitored because the police knew there was going to be an attack that day you know they they talked they they had um they told the runners that they expected a, a, a an attack uh, you know a drill that day and then they let it go live sort so to speak that's one way of doing a false flag it is gladio that that is where where a false flag becomes gladio because the false flag is is the fake out that you have the fake-out, the impersonation of the attacker. And then the Gladio is the desire for chaos and to create bitterness and anger and rage towards a targeted group. So the two often go hand in hand. Gladio goes back to Italy and uh, the time right after Mussolini when the fascists in Italy wanted to wanted to um, excoriate the communists in the eyes of the ordinary man. They wanted to stigmatize them as terrorists. So the fascists in Italy went out and they ran uh, a lot of bombings, at um, it, a lot of uh, train station bombings and bombings in public squares, bombings right outside churches and places where the people would consider to be sacred and You know, they would be reliable community asset, community resources like like those things. So they they'd put up a bomb there, and then they'd blame the the communists. They look what those communists did. Oh, those those awful communists just bombed our train station. Those awful bombs, communists just bombed our our churches. And in fact, it was the fascists who were doing it the whole time. Mm -hmm. But it was the that's Gladio and so you're you're stigmatizing your enemy which is what you see throughout all of these attacks but but like you said with a false flag that goes back to the old pirate days where the the pirates would 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 hoist a a, a, a flag that was like the, the, the to match the nationality that they were approaching so that they could get close enough and then they'd pull it down and say put, hoist the pirate flag in its place and board and, and rob and pillage. So.
4: And the pirate yeah. flag was the skull and bones. <laughs> so I always, yeah, uh, yeah,
5: yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, but, but these, these assets, the, the Mohammed Atta was definitely an asset. They were being, they had handlers. They were being watched. They were being trained in how to use airplanes and fly. And these were not jihadists. They were supposed, they they would later try to give an imitation of a jihadist, but they threw around a lot of cash. They used a lot of drugs, cocaine. They used a lot of uh, alcohol. They went to strip clubs. There is no jihadist anywhere who would do the kind of behavior. And by now, I hope we know that. Islamic, real, genuine Islamic radicals, they use drugs, they use cocaine, they use heroin and methamphetamines and, you know. And
4: drugs they have blue-haired strippers.
5: Yeah. But, but the, but the, but the real jihadists do not have, um do not have the blue-haired strippers. They've got everything except that. So, but the, but the, the, the Muhammad Atta crowd, we have knowledge that they were connected to the, they were being overseen by people who are known now to have been fronts for the CIA. They were companies for the CIA.
3: Can I ask a question here, um, Susan? Sure. I have a question. You, Especially during that story, you're talking about how you had used that emergency phone number that they gave you to do this all points across all the agencies. How what would happen? Because you're saying you told the FBI. What would the FBI have done different than the CIA to stop
5: anything? Nothing. I mean they, okay. they had the they had the ability to get search warrants. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, the FBI can. The FBI is domestic. Okay. The CIA is only supposed to be outside the United States. FBI is supposed to be domestic intelligence. Okay. But what the FBI does then is the FBI goes out and says, "Oh, the CIA never told." It. Now this becomes important in in the, in the last half hour of the story. Um, the, CIA, the, the, the FBI wanted to increase their budget. They wanted to increase their mission statement. This terrorism stuff was going to be big money. Mm -hmm. The problem is there's not enough terrorists to go around. In the old days, when we started, there were only about 300 terrorists in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Now, think about that. 300. You could only fill a small high school auditorium, maybe a small high school auditorium. If you were to fill it up with every terrorist from every country, that's what you'd have.
3: That's right. You'd have the IRA in there from Ireland. You'd have like all these oh. yeah, because that was the big one back then, right? The Irish
4: and, and that is kind of a, an Operation Gladio type thing, the whole IRA in Ireland and, uh, the, uh, I hate to say, it, you know, if, if anybody wants to look into this, I mean, uh, James Corbett and Sabel Edmonds have just really done some wonderful work on this. So, uh, you know, the history of Gladio and, you know, how it's still with us. It's still going on today. And so, but
3: so but back to 911 though 911 became like a giant commercial to create more terrorists
5: yes exactly because you can't have that's the problem there weren't enough there were not enough terrorists to justify the fun investigations that got people money and got people promotions and and you know, built up the FBI's reputation. They had to go, they had to go recruit. The FBI would go online and they would look for unhappy, uh unhappy Muslims, a lot of them from Yemen or, I mean, I feel sorry for, I really feel sorry for these people. Somalia got targeted. Now, there are some now, now, nowadays there are real terrorists from Yemen. Right. There are real terrorists from Somalia. And it's like this thing in, in Ariana Grande's conference, concert, uh, that just kills my heart because, you know, we, if we had never had Iraq, it's, it, you know, the terrorism is blowback for our actions. Blowback means that it is a consequence, a punishment, uh, like cause and effect. We did start this. Our wars in Iraq, in Syria, in Libya, and Yemen have cre- and, and all of this have in Sudan have created a a massive rupture and desensitization of violence and then those people are coming into Europe. They are enraged that the Europeans live so well when they have lost absolutely everything. And there's just blind fury. But people are going to be very upset when I say I support extreme vetting. I have been – I've dedicated my life to being anti, anti-war and anti-sanctions and anti-violence. But I will tell you that I am totally convinced that these refugees are going to come into the United States and they are already creating a lot of – they're bringing their fury with them and their fury has a cause. And to me, it's like a bar fight. In a bar fight, you have to keep these two groups separate. You mm-hmm. don't. It doesn't matter anymore that we're right, we're wrong, and they're right. Because what they want to do to get revenge on us is really scary. And we cannot let it happen, or we're going to have a lot more wars. And you, what you see is the Operation Gladio and False Flag, and they're capable of doing False Flags just like we are. The Israelis are capable of doing false flags. If you have somebody you want to attack, like if you're Saudi and you want the United States to attack Iran, you have a false flag attack and you set it up to make it look like Iran did it. And then you can draw the United States because we don't think 30 seconds ahead and we got all these snowflakes who are out there saying, war, war, give me war. You know, and you can make, you can push them to do anything. And, and really, I, I wanna say that. You guys, wake up. You are being severely manipulated. And if this show teaches you anything, you could have peace just as easily as you could have war. And this whole Russia scam is really frightening. There is no threat from Russia. Russia wants to be our ally. They are a powerhouse like we are, and we are now a, if anything, our stature has fallen so much in the world. We are no no longer first among equals. We are three. We're like a three-headed triumvirate of superpowers, China, Russia, U.S., but Mm -hmm. we're not leading them anymore.
3: Right. Now, do do you think that's mostly because of the financial situation that the United States is in? Or do you think that's due to something else? What do you know?
5: Yes, I I think that, I think that it is the financial situation. We have lost our moral authority. The world sees that now that we are hysterical and, and really pretty crazy in our bloodlust. And and the insanity of attacking Syria and then saying, but we love the Syrian refugees. You're welcome to come live in our country. We're going to bomb your neighborhood. We're going to blow up your schools, your houses, your shopping centers. We're going to bomb your markets. We're going to kill your children. Come live in America. I want you to be my neighbor. I'm a really good person. I want you to live right next door to me, and I'm going to kill your children while you're there. It's crazy what we're yeah. doing, yeah. we're going to kill you over there, and we're but we're really good people. you can I love Islam, we don't want a Muslim bad that would be racist. no war is racism. Get it through yeah. your heads. War yeah. is racism there's nothing worse than that. you're targeting an entire people for extermination that is racism,
4: and this uh, whole get back. I want to get back to the, uh, you know, the assets, and I, and I just kind of want to make a point here as sort of an aside, you know, whenever like a, a rock star or a pop idol or something like that dies or commits suicide, you have a lot of copycat people. You know, that all of a sudden they can't live without this pop idol that they, you know, that they grew up with. And, you know, and so you have this rash of suicides that kind of uh, are in sympathy with these. And so I, I think terrorism is a lot the same way, like this guy who allegedly did the Manchester Bombing, uh, you know, was not a, an import. He was a domestic, you know, and, and yet was this kind no, of? No,
5: he has he has very strong ties to Libya. His he brother don't... was arrested in Libya.
4: And okay, and I would like to talk about Libya because, uh, you know, when Gaddafi came to power in Libya, it was one of the the poorest countries in Africa, and and by time we. We came, we saw, he died. Uh, you know, he, he, Libya was one of the richest, you know, countries. And you talked about how they had, you know, built up this gold reserve, had a great oil infrastructure where they could sell oil for a dollar a barrel and, uh, or get it out of the ground for a dollar a barrel. And, and so uh, in, in Kadasz... They call it was-
5: sweet crude, sweet crude
4: and he was sharing the wealth with his people i mean he was uh and he was not i mean he was very good for the female the the women in uh in libya you know uh is you know they were not treated like cattle or you know property to be you know traded and sold by their husbands and fathers and that they actually had a say in their future and uh I, I think Gaddafi even had an all-female uh you know team of bodyguards or something like that trained to uh, protect him. You know, can you want to talk about did you know, yeah. that? Did Th- you know those the- are those oh. are
5: very good. Those are very good uh when when Gaddafi took over there was there was universal poverty and illiteracy was it was sky high. By the time of his death 89% of Libyans were literate. He had free education, free health care, free housing. Uh, there was a marriage bonus of $50,000 and per child each couple got $5,000 which caused a, a boost in the population, the young population, and he agreed to pay for their university education. women could travel outside the country with a guardian and everybody's expenses housing tuition etc food for for the woman and the guardian would be paid for and because women still there's but women did not wear the hijab. Women drove cars, women had, there were more professional doctors, medical doctors in, women, women medical doctors than there were men in Libya. And all of the wealth was shared amongst the people. Now the young people, here's the tragedy, the young Libyan men who, they had this very high birth rate, got bored, and they started hearing this Islamic jihadist philosophy. And they got, oh, I'm going to have a jihad. ooh, this is going to be so much fun. And they destroyed Libya. The families now are so bitterly disappointed, bitterly enraged, because these kids, these stupid kids um, who are very, very spoiled, they had never worked for anything in their lives. And they had everything given to them. And now they were tearing the society they have torn the society apart, and even the the young jihadists um, the families feel that their sons of are great disappointments to them, great disappointments, and they all say, "You know I hear from these Libyans all the time saying, "Oh, if only we could go back and bring back Gaddafi, we are so sorry that we did not appreciate how great it was." What we had was so good, and now we have lost everything. We have lost everything. And, you know, Libya is a failed state now. Yeah.
4: Now, do you. He was also, kind of like a bulkhead to keep all of that mass, uh, you know, migration of immigrants out of Africa into Europe. Uh, that was kind of like a buffer zone. He managed to keep them at bay. So that. Uh, you know, that's part of the problem too, is that, uh, they're no longer there as a, as a, you know, as a, a border, a boundary or whatever.
5: Well, what's happening now, it's even worse than that. After the, uh, fall of Gaddafi, all that, now realize this is done by Obama and Hillary. Before the fall of, of Gaddafi, the Islamic radicals would, with big eyes, Swore to Hillary Clinton, we're not going to hurt women's rights. Oh no. Women will have protected rights. And the very, the very first day, the first hour, the very first action that they took was to make an announcement. And they are very proud of this. And they, they said, we want you to know that our first commitment is to, is to Islam. And therefore we are renouncing Women's rights in marriage. Henceforth, women will no longer have the rights to decide marriage and handle property. Women will no longer have rights in divorce. Women, Women who hold a job will have to give their money to their husband. They will have no money of their own. They will have no control over their children. If a woman leaves her husband, she will lose her children forever. That was the very first lie that they, the very first promise they broke to Hillary Clinton. The first promise they broke to Barack Obama was just as ugly. They had promised, oh, there are all those migrants from Africa living in Libya. They'll be safe. We're such a modern society. Well, let me tell you what really happened. They began hunting out all the black Africans. Who were there as migrant workers because Gaddafi had a lot of money and Libya has a history going back a, several hundred years of slave trading. They're huge slave traders. And so Gaddafi had made peace with Africa and sort of apologized for Libya's very dirty past. Well, what they, once he was dead, they went through and killed every every black african they could find they the, the the jihadists did they hunted them on the street people were hiding anybody who was hiding a, a black african um, was killed uh they could if they were in somebody's car not only would they drag the black african out of the car they'd take the driver out and they'd just shoot everybody so they scared everybody to throw their to condemn their neighbors and to you know, there's one of them right there you know, oh he's hiding in the backyard and they put these people in alleyways and yards so they were literally hiding in people's backyards so that they could say well you're not in my house just hide in the bushes there well try to remember this is 120 degrees there's got no food no water no air conditioning no electricity it's murderously hot among other things, among every other problem they've got. Now they've got no electricity because the electricity is going out. You know, it's only running six hours a day. And, you know, the blacks are being hunted. That was the thing first. Now the blacks are being treated as slaves. And all the migrants, and and for all of us who hate the refugee problem, and all the (laughs) – the Libyans are are very – Entrepreneurial, let's put it that way. They're entrepreneurial, and they are rounding these people up now, and they're selling them in slave markets in Libya, all over Libya. They're, who's they're, buying them, Susan? Who's buying them? Um, families, just families who who want us, who want a free labor. You okay. don't have to feed them. You very much. You don't have to give them anything very much. You don't have to pay them anything at all. But these are, these are people who are trying to get to Europe. And so they're becoming the, 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 the families who have, who used to have money to pay for whatever they wanted. They don't have any money anymore. They hate the blacks. Now they blame the blacks for the fall of Gaddafi yeah there's this finger pointing why is Gaddafi gone you you right. you you right right you know, and so there' and and for a few bucks, you can grab a slave and work him to death until you want to shoot him. Women can be raped and 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 they are the women female- the female slaves are sold as prostitutes. Uh-huh. it's really ugly it's just
3: okay, so bringing this back to what just happened, what you what you just talked about. Is stuff that people that would be at that women's march worldwide would have been opposed to. In America, it became some sort of Trump anti-Trump rally. But I think the women's march worldwide was really opposed to the things you just um, ticked off about the stuff that just happened in, in Libya and after Qaddafi. Well,
5: yeah. well, well, well. My uh, Arab women friends are furious. They're so bitterly disappointed that the Islamic, that the, the women's march got convoluted, convoluted yeah, conflated, back, sorry, conflated, conflated, conflated yeah. with the, uh, the refugee ban and People were like, we love the Muslims, we don't want anybody to hurt the Muslims. And they're like, uh, actually, you should be very concerned. If you care about Arab women, you should be very concerned about how women, Arab women are being treated. Right. And Islam is brutal to women. Forced into marriage when they're 11 years old or 9 years old and beaten by their husbands if they, for any reason at all uh sub- subservient violence and and they have to bear children and if they don't bear the right children they get acid thrown on them if they talk back if they're not complacent and and so they're just severely beaten people it is awful they cut them up they throw acid on them they set them on fire it's just it's it's they they cut off their noses or their ears that's a big one cutting off their ears because they're not mm. listening to their husband so they mm-hmm. cut off their ears they cut off their nose you okay. know it's so just so, so Gaddafi
3: awful. was more of a western leader and it seemed like things were going okay until we pu- we pulled him out and created this this chaos thing that once again the defense industry is the industry that that benefits just like after 9/11 that created a situation where the defense industry is benefiting when you said yourself, peace was starting to blossom all over the place. And that could have been a problem for this huge, massive amounts of money that was getting moved
5: through our whole economy. Exactly. Peace was a threat. Peace was a threat. They needed a wartime economy, and there's talk that Hillary Clinton helped to steal some of the gold. Libya had a huge gold reserve set of all Disappeared. It's all gone now huge <laughs> gold reserves
4: one of the uh, things that you brought up that is a term that they use at the higher levels is called actionable intelligence how can we use that you know how can we uh, take that idea and we you know i i'm starting to call us the the other one percent because the people that are listening to this show and the people that are getting you know into this information now you know you go out and you try to tell your friends your family uh talk to other people and they're. Oh, you know, well, what's Chicken Little got to say today? You know, is the sky still falling?
5: Oh no, no, no! I, Up- I, 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 I tell intelligence you,
4: intelligence and, and spread it. You know, so that it gets out and it gets wings, and and more and more people get into and, and start to understand. You know, what we can do by knowledge is power. So they use it at the top as power. How can we use it here at the bottom, at the roots, as power? Well, I,
5: here, here, let, let me, let me, let me contradict you a little bit. I used to feel that way too about what you just said that we were completely marginalized we were very much marginalized and president trump has changed all of that now the corporate media is savagely attacking him and we have got to do more to protect him and defend him and i am fighting bitterly uh to uh, i just i i got on the phone today and i called every member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Democrat and Republican. And I called every Republican on the House Intelligence Committee talking about Comey and or not Comey, sorry. Uh uh CIA Director Brennan's statement yesterday to the House Intelligence Committee. I said, "You have got this backwards. The CIA Director Brennan had said that Trump's associates during the campaign were cavorting around with some Russian spies, and I busted them all right there. I called every single office and I said that is factually impossible because um, um, ordinary citizens would never be able to identify who is a spy and who is not. That is the nature of espionage. Those details are never revealed. All of it is concealed. So if there was contact, the Trump people would never have known who they were dealing with at all. However, if Clapper and Brennan, had, CIA Director Brennan or Comey had known, had suspected these people were spies and saw that they were interacting with Trump, and they, and they knew it because they were tracking these people's phones and their their. They're just monitoring. They're watching all the different engagements they've got going on. Okay, so if, if, if Clapper thought that or Brennan thought that, then they had an obligation to warn Trump, and that doesn't happen. That becomes an intelligence failure. That is not a campaign failure. That is not a crime by Trump. That's a failure of the intelligence community. All right, Susan, we got to start
3: heading out here. Um, I want people to know where they can get in touch with you. I know you've written a book that I want people to
5: pick up. My book is Extreme Prejudice. Mm -hmm. Right, and And you can can get it on Amazon. All right. And you have a website? No,
3: not anymore, no. Okay. Right on, Susan. (laughs) Thank you. You rock. Thank you very much for sharing all that with us. Thank you.
5: Citizen
0: with Rachel L. McIntosh and Rob O'Sell.
6: News and information you can trust. This is American Freedom Radio. Freedom. Freedom. American. Freedom Radio. Radio.
1: American Freedom Radio
6: nutritious food is real body armor it builds muscle burns fat improves digestion and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs did you know the u.s government banned the hemp plant from growing in the united states and classified it as a schedule one drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant people have been confused about this plant for over 80 years and many still don't know what hemp is so now you know hemp is not marijuana and marijuana is not hemp they are different varieties of the same species hemp us HempUSA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best-kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil
1: can do for you only at HempUSA.org. This is Rick Simpson, and you're listening to American Freedom Radio.
6: You're listening to the future of talk.
1: American Freedom Radio. This is American Freedom Radio.
2: Quality, value, style, service, selection, convenience, economy, savings, performance, experience, hospitality, low rates, friendly service, name brands, easy terms, affordable prices, money back guarantee, free installation, free admission, free appraisal, free alterations, free delivery, free estimates, free home trial, and free parking. No cash, no problem, no kidding, no fuss, no must, no risk, no obligation, no red tape, no down payment, no entry fee, no hidden charges, no purchase necessary, no one will call on you, no payments or interest till September but limited time only though so act now order today send no money offer good while supplies last two to a customer each item sold separately batteries not included mileage may vary all sales are final allow six weeks for delivery some items not available some assembly required some restrictions may apply so come on in come on in thank you. come on in thank you So come on in. Come on in for a free demonstration and a free consultation with our friendly professional staff. Our experienced and knowledgeable sales representatives will help you make a selection that's just right for you and just right for your budget. And say, don't forget to pick up your free gift, a classic deluxe custom designer luxury prestige high quality premium select gourmet pocket pencil sharpener. (laughs) yours for the asking no purchase necessary it's our way of saying thank you and if you act now we'll include an extra added free complimentary bonus gift a classic deluxe custom designer luxury prestige high quality premium select gourmet combination key ring magnifying glass and garden hose in a genuine imitation leather style carrying case with authentic vinyl trim yours for the asking no purchase necessary it's our way of saying thank you actually it's our way of saying bend over just a little bit farther
0: You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest, and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow, friendships to flourish, with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom, and loyalty. The founders of AFR wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio at Ymail.com. Vaccines, psychotropic drugs, and artillery batteries not included.
6: No rules.
0: No rules. No taboo topics. No taboo topics.
6: No fear of doom. No fear of doom. We are. We are American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio.